We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithanee.org.au. Great to have you part of our series, God Can Move Mountains. It's amazing. Just before I launch into that, I just want to give another invite to anyone who is serving in any way in the church for our leadership and teams night coming up Thursday night. We want to bless you. We're putting on tea. We've organised it now. It's going to be amazing. So we want you to be part of that. Enjoy dinner together. We've got a bit of a fun time and some time to give you some input. So that's this Thursday night. We want as many people as possible just be, to be together, to hang out together and to yeah, just talk about some of the stuff that God is doing. Now next, not this Sunday night, but next Sunday night, we want people from all churches across the Sunshine Coast to come together because we're praying. We're praying for revival. The Baptists as a denomination for the next 21 days, starting the 1st of um, June, we're praying for revival. We're asking God to move in power and to revive our nation. And we invite everyone to be part of it. There's a number of things you can use. If you go onto the Bible app and put 21 days of prayer, you'll get a set of devotions and some points to pray for over the next 21 days that you can follow and you can pray through. And that would be very helpful for you. If you don't have the Bible app, you can get it. It's free. Just put the Bible app in and it will come up. Also, I've got a um, whole list of prayer points. If you're not sure what to pray for the next 21 days, a list of prayer points that we're going to put on the um, yes desk where you can grab these and just give you a guide to be praying through some of these points for our nation, for our um, churches, for our families, for our community, for our education system, that God would move in power. We believe God can do some great stuff. We are expecting God to do some great stuff and looking forward to what He's going to do. So I'm going to preach today about when God did some great stuff, when God did some miracles and just see some of the funny situations that were happening when people were praying and God was at work. Let me pray. Lord, this morning, I invite you, Holy Spirit, to meet with us. We all have needs. We all need more of you. We all need to be open to more of you. We all need to learn to pray better. So Lord, I pray that you would meet with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask you this morning, how is your prayer life? How is it going? I've been reflecting on mine this week. And for an introduction, I thought I might be really honest with you guys. I'm always honest, but this is really honest. You know, when I first got saved, I just believed in the power of prayer. I believe that you ask God for anything and He will do it. The first prayer I prayed and the first miracle I saw was when I got my new car. It was... Um, just before Easter, it was Thursday afternoon, I picked it up at five o'clock and I was driving back home. And on the way back home, I noticed that the speedo wasn't working. And there's no way I could take it back because as I drove it out of where I bought it, the car people had closed all the gates and everything like that and I couldn't get it fixed. So I said, God, I'm a Christian now. 
I believe in you. I pray in Jesus' name that my speedo will start to work. And do you know what happened? Immediately, my speedo started to work. I thought, wow, and never stopped the whole time that I had the car for about 15 years. I thought, wow, thanks God. Prayer is amazing. And then I had someone who I knew quite well who had lung cancer. And that's back, back in the, the 60s. And back then, big thing, had to have a lung out and there wasn't much hope whatsoever. But I believed in God and I held on to the promises of God. And I prayed, God, I pray for Lyle. I pray, God, that you would let him die. That as I take out his lung, that he would live. And do you know what? He lived to be an old man. I prayed for my family and members of my family who weren't saved and God started to do a work. My sister got saved. My Nana got saved at 95 years old. She lived to 97, 95, gave her heart to Jesus. Wow, the power of prayer. I was at a kid's camp and I remember being at this kid's camp and my desire as I, I led the, this um, this specific hut in the kids' camp. We had um, people who'd speak through the day and at night we'd stay in the huts with um, groups of primary school kids. I remember one night praying with these kids and there was one guy, I still remember his name, his name was Daryl. And Daryl was then said, can I pray? Now, Daryl was um, disadvantaged as a child and yeah, his thinking wasn't completely together. So that night he said, I wanna pray. And the way he prayed, he said, Dear Queen, thank you for making us rich. Thank you, Queen, for the money that you give us. And that's so wonderful. I thought, wow, he's got a lot to learn. He's got a long journey to go to even understand prayer. We went to a meeting the next day. And at that meeting, um, there was the opportunity to hear the gospel and how the gospel would change your heart and change your life. And the challenge was for us as leaders that night, we were to ask our kids, would they like to accept Jesus as their Saviour and Lord and become Christians? And I asked my kids, there were six of them. I said, do you want to pray and ask Jesus into your heart? And they all said, yes. And Daryl put his hand up and said, can I be the first person to pray? And my heart sank. My heart absolutely sank. So I don't want to change what he says, but I want to give him the opportunity. And he got on his knees beside his bed and he said, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart to be my Saviour and my Lord and to change my life forever. That is the power of our God. And I'm sure you've all got some amazing stories. But I was thinking about my life now and I do pray and I do pray a lot and I do pray prayers. But sometimes they're not as bold and audacious as some of those prayers were when I was just saved. Would I pray now for my speedo to get fixed? I would probably wait and take it to the shop and get it fixed by a mechanic. I'm being honest with you because I'd probably think God's got more stuff on his agenda than my speedo that a mechanic could fix. And I thought, why don't I pray those audacious prayers? And I've realised over the time I've prayed some big prayers and there's been some disappointments. Have you had any disappointments? When you prayed some prayers and you're asking God to change a situation or to change your life or to heal somebody and it hasn't happened. I've had them. And I realise today 
that my prayer life is filtered a little bit by the prayers that I prayed, but I was disappointed. So somehow I've got my prayer life to a point where don't be too radical, don't be too out there, pray carefully and then you won't be disappointed. And you know, I realised, I realised in doing this message, that's not God's heart. That's not God's heart. God's heart is that I'm one of His children. He loves me and He loves it when I pray for my speedo and He's got the opportunity to bless me. And I've got a story to tell you because I stepped out of my comfort zone and trusted God. And I wanna just take you on a journey. I'm just going through Scripture this morning on a journey from Acts chapter 12. I don't have this up on the screen, so if you wanna get your phones out, it's just Acts chapter 12. And we're going to do a journey where the church was being absolutely persecuted, but they knew the power of persistent prayer. And the church locked in and started to pray and they saw some incredible incredible miracles happen. Now there's a number of truths I'm gonna bring out in this text. And the first one is God's power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in weakness. Because when we're strong and things are together, I'm not sure about you, but when it's all together, it's flowing so well, I don't pray as desperately as I do in my weakness. I don't pray and just spend time persisting with God when things are good. It's when things are tough and things are bad that God calls me and I lean into God more and more. You see, weakness is created when we are not in control of the situation. Are you in control of all your situations? What situation this morning are you not in control of? We see that as a weakness. And it's in those times that we lean into God and we ask God to help because we can't change it, we can't control it, but we know God can and we're asking God to do it. So in chapter 12, verse one, it says, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. So what was happening, we have Herod. Herod was there and he hated the church. And he really wanted to get himself liked by all the people. So the way he got liked by all the people because they hated the Herods, they hated these people because they were ruthless leaders in the time. They hated them with a vengeance and they're trying to get credibility and they found a way to politically get credibility by the way they persecute Christians. So when he had um, had stood up against the Christians, he saw that they were excited about what he was doing. He saw the general public agreed with him. So he thought, here's an opportunity for me to step up and be recognised and get favour with all the Jews. So we have James, John and Peter, the inner circle of Jesus. And here in Acts chapter 12, the first person to be martyred was James. Someone Jesus loved. Someone Jesus really cared for. Now there's a lot of questions the church could have asked about God, why did you allow this to happen? Why? 
And there aren't any answers this side of glory. I can't come up with an answer. I can't tell you an answer why James was put to sort, killed by being beheaded when he's only a young man. And yet Peter, the inner circle, uh, lived to his an old man and John lived to an old man to he wrote, wrote Revelation. I can't tell you the answers. There aren't clear answers, but I wanna let you know that God is in this. And God's plans and purposes are being unfolded. And as persecution was happening to the church, God was doing something. God was building the church to stand firm because it wasn't just for the next two or three weeks. It was for the thousands of years to come that He promised He's going to build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's setting up these people for a win for the future as they lean into God and they trust God no matter what. Are you trusting God today no matter what? Are you just trusting God if He comes and does your stuff and does it your way? Are you trusting God if He answers your prayer the way you wanted? Or are you still going to trust God if He doesn't answer the prayer that you are praying? That's something I had to learn. That was part of my disappointments in life. God, I still trust You. I trust You no matter what, because You are God. So this mammoth political move that was happening found James beheaded, and then Herod throwed Peter into prison. Now, I used to read this about the Passover and think Peter was just in prison for one night. But if you read this carefully, you'll see that it was during the Feast of Unleavened Bread that he was thrown into prison. It's the beginning of that feast. Then that feast goes for seven days, and then you have the Passover for another day. So what happens is he was in prison for eight days. Now this makes it a bit more understandable. When he's in prison for eight days, thrown in prison, the whole idea and everybody in the day knew that when they got him out of prison, they were going to behead him the same as they did with James. He was gonna be beheaded. This wasn't just a nice thing, leave it in prison, see how it goes. He was going to be beheaded. So verse four says, when they seized him, they put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending that after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Now, Herod was really wary of Christians. He'd realised that Jesus was put in a sealed tomb and his body disappeared. He realised that Paul escaped from Jerusalem and no one realised how he escaped. And Peter was supernaturally busted out of prison twice before. So in putting him in prison, the worst thing that could happen to Herod is this guy disappear from prison. But he didn't realise who he was up against. So there were four squads of soldiers. Two were chained to him. Two stood at the door and they changed every six hours. So 16 guys a day made sure that Peter stayed in prison no matter what. But on the other hand, the church realised that they've got to do something. The church said, we've got to step up now. So here is the church earnestly praying. And when we have earnest prayer, it comes because of the deep needs. And when earnest prayer comes, God's heart is touched. So verse five, but earnest prayer was made for him and for the church. So they just lent him to God. Now they were in Mary's house. The church met together. They locked the gates. They locked the doors because they realised if they were found out, they would end up in prison or worse still. So they were scared 
but they were still fervent and they were willing to press through in prayer no matter what. So while Herod was planning Peter's execution, the church was earnestly interceding. Now the story separates into two parts right here. We have Christians praying behind closed doors and we don't know how or what they're praying, but they're praying earnestly. And that means they're praying day and night. It's the same word as used when an athlete just pushes through the finishing line that he gives all his stamina, he gives all his strength and he pushes through the finishing line with everything he's got. The church was praying with everything they got because they needed to win this. If they didn't win this, what was going to happen is they would be the next ones who would lose their heads. So in the midst of this, God gives peace in the middle of the storm. And that's something Peter demonstrated. Verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring Peter out, on that very night, he was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains, and the sentries before the door were guarding him. But he was sleeping. Would you be sleeping the night before that you believed that you're going to be executed? Eight nights he'd been in prison, eight nights he's gone through this and done the countdown. This was the last night, and tomorrow was D Day, and here he was sleeping. Sleeping because he trusted God. Sleeping because he believed the promises of God on his life because God had promised in the last chapter of John, John chapter 1, God had promised that he's going to live to an old man. So there was no sword or no emperor or no one that was going to kill him as a young man because God had promised he'd live to be an old man. So he had faith and trust in God. What are the promises God has said to you that you're not trusting him for? What has God promised you in your life that you're doubting that if you really believe now and trust Him, you wouldn't lose sleep over? If you really believe that God's going to look after you, if God's going to provide for you, if God's going to be there for you, if God's going to answer your prayer, if God says what He promised He would do, why are you losing sleep? Peter, come to the whole conclusion. I trust God. I trust His promises and he will win out. You know, whatever they do across the world in the years to come, the church will remain because he promised it. And that's exciting, absolutely exciting to know. So then suddenlies happen. Now I want to tell you today that God's suddenlies happen when the character building is done. We want God's suddenlies to happen before he's ready for them to happen. So here is Peter, suddenly an angel appeared. Now he'd been in there for eight days. Why didn't the angel appear on the first night? Why didn't the church just have to have one sleepless night rather than eight? Character building was happening in that locked house as well as in that cell. That God was creating character through the time. So we pray for God and we ask God to turn up and we ask God for His suddenlies, but His suddenlies don't come until He's done the work on our character. So He's prepared us so that we are ready to be the person that He wants us to be through the trial that we have gone through. And I spoke about trials last week. So here he is sleeping. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and the light shone in his cell. Now Usually someone turns a light on in my room, I wake up. He didn't wake up. An angel appears in the cell. This is so funny. The light is shining for the angel. 
and he sleeps through it. God displays his power when he gets the glory. So verse seven said, the angel struck Peter on his side and woke him up saying, get up quickly and his chains fell off. Now, really, if you wanna translate this, Peter got smacked by a celestial being to knock him out of his sleep. Now, I think he may have been a, not a morning person by the look of this. And one of those groggy people when they wake up, I won't mention about any other people, they're a bit like that. But he may have been a really deep sleeper because it says the angel had to smack him hard to wake him up in the midst of all this. So the angel turns up, angels are real. The Bible says a ministering spirit sent to minister to people who inherit salvation. They are there, they're around you. Have you seen an angel? I've seen one. Who's seen an angel? We, we entertain them unaware as we journey through life. This angel turned up as an answer to a praying church who was praying for Peter because they needed their leader to be rescued and needed to be saved. So the angel turns up in verse nine and he went out Peter went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. And the angel said, dress yourself, put on your sandals, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Well, it really says how dopey he must have been because if I woke up and saw an angel and I thought I was gonna escape, I would make sure I'd put my sandals on, I'd get my cloak, I'd put my clothes on and get ready. But the angel has to tell him what to do. So Peter was part of this journey to realise that this angel is there for him and he's going to make a difference. So he gets up and he follows the angel and they went out, he followed him. They did not, he did not know what was being done, but he followed what the angel was saying. Then they had passed through the first guard. They came to an iron gate leading into the city. The gate opened by itself. They went out onto the street and immediately the angel left him. The angel turned up as a result of answered prayer, a church praying to make a difference to rescue Peter. And the only way he could be rescued with the way he was in the inner part of the cell with those prisoners, those guards beside him was for an angel to turn up and do a miracle and the miracle came. How often do we see miracles and miss it? How often do we see the stuff that God is doing in the background or the stuff that God saves us from and we miss it. This one, no one can miss because God turns up as a result of answered prayer so He gets the glory. And I might suggest to you this morning, the prayer that you're praying, the stuff that you've been leaning into God and you really want God to turn up with and to do, maybe you've got to wait until the suddenly happens, the miracle arrives, and then he gets the glory because of what happened. So he races out, he races out into the street. The angel left him, he had no idea what to do. The end of the story happened there with the angel. It says he left him in the street. And there in the street, he realised the church was praying for him. So he said, thought to himself, I'll go straight to where they're praying for him. So he gets there, he races to the house, Mary's house, and then he starts knocking on the gates. He just had one gate open miraculously for him. But when he tries to get into the church, the gate is locked where the church people are 
car, the gate was absolutely locked. He's banging on this gate as loud as he could because this was in the middle of the night. Now, don't judge the church, church too harshly because I'm sure they started to pray even harder and more fervently when they heard that gate knocking because they didn't realise it was Peter. Even though they were praying prayers, and we're going to read it in a moment, they weren't expecting Peter. They probably thought it was guards coming to arrest them. So they were praying fervently and leaning into God in the midst of the knocking. But there was one girl. Her name was Rhoda. She's a servant girl. And she thought, I'm praying for a miracle. God, let me believe that it's here. And she went. And against all odds, she opened those doors. Who's praying for a miracle? Open your eyes and believe that God is going to come through. Look for it. Look for the opportunity to see it happen. So she had a look, she saw it was Peter, but she didn't unlock the gate. She raced back to the prayer meeting, said our prayers have been answered. Peter is here. Peter's at the door. And these faith-filled prayers said, you got to be kidding. It's got to be someone else. It can't be Peter. So they've been praying for eight days and nights fervently. They didn't stop praying. God answered their prayer and they left the answer to their prayer locked on the other side of the gate. How often do we leave the answer to our prayer locked on the other side of the gate because we really can't see and believe how God answered it? There are times when God answers your prayer in a way that you don't expect and you absolutely miss it. So you leave it outside the gate, locked away, and you don't really embrace what God has done because you're too busy focused on the way that you want the prayer answered. I don't know what they were expecting or whether they expected Peter to just stand in the middle of them like Jesus did after the resurrection, but they were expecting something different from, than what happened. But God's way of answering prayer was different from what they expected. Don't be disappointed when God's way of answering prayer is different from what you expect. He's still God, He's still answering your prayer and He's still doing some amazing stuff. So they let him in and Peter came in and Peter told them all that had happened and shared about the miracles, shared about the miraculous, gave glory to God. And the church rejoiced because they realised, they realised yet again the power of prayer. The power of a praying church, when a church launches out and believes and prays fervently and doesn't give up, God does the miraculous. Would Peter have got out of prison if the church had not prayed. Because when they prayed, they just didn't deal with flesh and blood. They talked, they dealt with what I talked about last week. They went into the spiritual realm and they dealt with spiritual powers and authorities because when they prayed, they intersected the heavenly realm because God sent angels or an angel to minister and set Peter free. That's the power of prayer. I never doubt your prayer when you pray that it just doesn't stay in this realm, but it translates into the spiritual realm and a difference is made. I want to put the challenge out there as we're praying for revival. 
this messed with the politics of the time because read the next couple of verses and Herod ended up trying to get the glory for himself with stuff that was happening and he died and worms ate him and the church prevailed against the politics of the time. Be encouraged. The church has power. The church has got authority and it will prevail against bills, against stuff that is going against where, where we believe the Bible is saying the church will prevail. Not through fighting the battle physically, but fighting the battle spiritually, leaning into God, praying fervently, believing God, and we will see an incredible difference happen when God's suddenly comes. And just between you and me, I don't believe God suddenly is yet because our character and who we are as churches across this nation haven't developed its prayer life and its fervency and its hunger and its desire for prayer enough yet for God suddenly to come. But if we start leaning into God, if we start leaning to God, I wanna tell you, He suddenly will come and it will come powerfully and He'll get the glory. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's ask our worship team to come as we worship God, as we declare His faithfulness. Let's stand together. Let me pray for you. Just feel to, today there's disappointment. There's disappointment that God hasn't answered the prayer that you've been praying. There's disappointment that God hasn't answered the way you wanted to. And there's disappointment because the suddenly has been longer than what you wanted. God knows. If that's you, I just want you to hold your hands out to God because God wants to take it. God wants to take it this morning and say, keep praying, it's gonna happen. So God, this morning as we reach out to you, we ask, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you'll just take away disappointments. Disappointments where we've really wanted you to do something you haven't yet. God, we want to confess those as disappointments and say, God, we're sorry. And God, we want to just hold on to you now and say, Lord, we put those disappointments aside and we say, we declare that we believe in the power of prayer. We believe, God, that you are the God that answers prayer correctly and right. And shall not the God of all this earth do right and answer rightly and answer in the right time? And we declare that and we start to believe that again. So we lean into you and we keep praying. We ask God that as we seek your face, that we'd see the glory of God come and Lord, hearts and lives change. As by faith, we hold on to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.